if you mm. manage to be to to create a good atmosphere where people like to go where they love to work with you then as a team you have that synergy that you can go lengths you wouldn't go on your own This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Most Awesome Founder Podcasts. Today, we are thrilled to have with us Kiran Banakar, a young entrepreneur who recently founded Compelling, which is a novel customer relationship building platform. In this episode, Kiran shares his insights on the challenges of being a multicultural entrepreneur in Germany, the lessons he learned from his time as a patent attorney, and how his company is using AI to transform customer relationship building. He also opens up about his personal experiences growing up in a multicultural environment and how it has influenced his perspective on leadership. So sit back and get ready for an enlightening conversation with Kiran, a founder who is not just building a company, but is also building bridges between cultures, technologies and people. Coming to you from WHU on the banks of the Rhine River in beautiful Fallendar, Germany. This is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the most awesome founder podcast again. And today I'm joined by Kiran Banakar, which is one of the founders of Compelling, which is actually a startup that is part of the WAU Accelerator that is running at the moment. Kiran, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dries. Happy to be here. Great. As you might know, what we always do at the start of the podcast is actually give our guests the floor to briefly tell something about their personal background, where they're coming from, how they ended up here. So the floor is yours to briefly tell something about your background story. Yes, thank you very much. Well, I'm Kieran. I have been born in Germany and I've been raised in two cultures. My parents immigrated to Germany 50 years ago from India. And okay. I, but I've been born and raised in Germany, in Berlin. And yeah, basically, um, it, it was quite a challenge in the beginning when I grew up because we started, um, I, the first people I got to know in my life were Indian people. And we were living in the Indian community. But slowly, as okay. you grow older, you go to the, the local community, the German one. And managing those two uh, cultures was always a pretty difficult thing. So uh, that was actually also what the main topic of my childhood was managing two identities to get into uh, touch with both identities at the same time. Yeah. And that, that sounds like a, a challenging exercise, of course. And, and, and how did that affect your childhood? Was it that, that you saw that as a kind of enrichment? Oh, I'm, I'm part of these two cultures and I can benefit from both of them. Or, or was it really a struggle where you had to uh, fight with some issues? Yes, exactly. Yeah, as you just said, it was a struggle on the one hand. On the other hand, I also knew that at some day it will give me a better perspective on life because I knew that 
there's always another perspective. Just being aware of that there might be another perspective is also opening uh, my mind up very, very much. But in the beginning, when I was a child, it was pretty difficult. And it, there's a... Okay. At one time in my life, I realized that um, one of the biggest challenges I had to learn when I was a child was learning the difference of uh, no in different cultures. <laughs> Because the word no, and I, I suppose that this is one of the biggest... Um, advantages in Germany is that no is simply the opposite of yes. It's nothing else. And in India and in other um, a little bit conservative cultures, no is also a bit of an insult, an offense, disrespect. Yeah. So the thing is, in India, rather than saying no, you say yes, but you don't really mean it. And yeah. if you're used that you're in Germany, then it might be a little bit awkward when communicating. And that is yeah. one of the first things I found out. That's why I had a pretty tough time making friends when I was uh, young, because um, those German kids, they always said, uh, just talk openly and freely about now. And I was feeling really, yeah, I was really hurt. And they yeah. were thinking, why is he hurt? He's a, he's a diva. What, what is he doing? <laughs> What's happening? And managing all those different communication styles was pretty tough on me. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. actually because I, I'm coming from Belgium, even there, this, you see already this difference. So indeed, huh, in Germany, no is no, yes is yes. We in Belgium, yeah. we are a bit more southern oriented. Even there already, uh, a yes doesn't always mean a real yes, like exactly. the Germans would yeah. expect. Yeah, so yeah, I can uh, right. understand what you mean there. Okay, yeah. but so that was your childhood and, and so not always an, an easy way to navigate these two different cultures. Yes. Uh, in the end, uh, you went to RWTH Aachen, uh, the engineering yeah. school. Can you tell a bit more about what you studied there? Yes, exactly. I, um, after graduating from school, I went to Aachen and uh, started my studies with industrial engineering with a focus on material sciences, which is basically just um, business combined with engineering. And um, yeah, it was a pretty tough uh, school. I mean, um, I don't have to... <laughs> Uh, elaborate too much on that one. It puts students uh, through a lot of uh, workload, a lot of mm. pressure for sure because of exams and everything. Um, and since we always have the pressure of uh, trying to uh, rush through, uh, you also need to manage everything pretty good. And mm. what I learned at that time, I, I pretty, I actually struggled with that uh, experience as well. But in the end, at one point, I decided to myself that. Um, I have the the choice between rushing through or taking my time and um, having fun while rushing through. So, okay. and I knew that if I have fun while I'm working, then I will, my, the quality of my work will be much better. So what, uh, in the end, what happened was I compared to my peers took one mm. or two years longer, but in okay. the end, I will, I'm the only one who said, okay, I think my time in, in Aachen was Pretty good, pretty nice. I like the city. I like this. I stayed uh, there uh, over the weekends, but some of my friends, they, when they had the chance uh, to get out of Aachen, they were immediately immediately gone. That's okay. um, yeah. That is Aachen. Yeah, okay. But um, great experience. I learned a lot about myself, and yeah, on the one hand, academically. On the other hand, uh, personally, because I knew I can manage stress, I can go through uh, hard times, and I can be disciplined. That is one great things I learned over there. Okay, great. And so, uh, I, of course, I checked your LinkedIn profile where you can see a bit uh, how you evolved over time. And then I saw that after you finished your studies at RWTH Aachen, 
yes. you became what is called a patent attorney candidate. Yeah. And I was yeah. quite intrigued by that. Like, what is a guy yeah, yeah. studying hardcore engineering subsequently yeah. doing as a patent attorney candidate? Can, can you explain exactly. a bit more what yeah, that actually sure. is and why you made that choice? <laughs> yeah. Um, what that is, um, a patent attorney is someone who protects IP. Um, you as an inventor or somebody who develops something new, you have an idea and you need to protect it because it's your intellectual property. And the yep. patent attorney understands you, writes the patent application and defends that patent uh, for you. And the thing why you are an engineer and then you turn into a patent attorney is because this is the only um, precondition you need to fulfill to be a patent okay. uh, attorney. Because in order to write patents, you need to understand the technology. And that is an engineer's uh, skill set. That's why an, a patent attorney is always someone who has uh, a technical background. Okay. And um, this is the, the, the factual background, um, how I became um, a patent attorney for a short time. Um, mm -hmm. And there's actually a, a quite funny story why um, personally I became a patent attorney because uh, you know, as Indian as Indian parents, they want their kids to be engineers, lawyers, or doctors. First, yeah. I was an engineer, and then I tried to become a, a lawyer, right? So, um, yeah, that's always like the conservative style of uh, of choosing one's profession. And yeah, but I stick uh, stuck there with the patent attorney for six months, and I okay. found out that uh, it's not the right uh, career for me. Um, yeah, because it it's really theoretical. Okay. And I found myself to be someone um, liking to work more with people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was screening a lot of documents. Exactly. Uh, analyzing yeah. whether the yeah. novelty of the patent claim was really as exactly. novel as the people claimed. Yeah. So quite. Exactly. Uh, to be honest, bureaucratic work. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on and the so other then, hand, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And on the other hand, on the one. Uh, there's another personal story to that one uh, that I can I can share as well. Um, on the on the one hand, it's the 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 um, objective work. It's the work of uh, theoretical minds, uh, yeah. and on the other hand, it's also um, it's always also based on relationships. And I mean, mm -hmm. as a patent attorney, the way you learn is you shadow your boss. You do everything what your boss boss does, and you are basically um, an apprentice trying to learn everything from the boss, right? So okay. the relationship is at the core of everything. If the relationship is good, then your work is good. Mm. And I uh, didn't have that much of a great uh, relationship <laughs> okay. with my boss, um, the, which is also why I, uh, how I made actually learned some quite interesting lessons about um, leadership. Because what I found is I consider myself to be, um, to be, yeah, enthusiastic. And if I have fun while doing stuff, I can really do good stuff. But mm -hmm. uh, when I have emotional stress and um, mental pressure too much, then I turn to be a little bit more, um, yeah, dull. Let's, let's call it dull. So yeah. Um, yeah, my boss, he didn't really know how to lead me in a certain way. And he was one of uh, you always say old school boss, but old school might also be good. I'm, I would rather prefer to say that um, my boss had a kind of um, choleric way of leading. So the okay. thing is, um, that put a lot of stress on myself and that turned me into someone so dull 
who made even bigger of mistakes. And that mm. also fueled my boss again. So it was a dynamic and that leadership, I knew, okay, once that dynamic started going on, I knew that um, I couldn't get out of that except getting out of the job itself. So then at yeah. one point I, I decided to go out of that job. And now I know that leadership is a great, great part in working with others. If you yeah. manage to be to to create a good atmosphere where people like to go, where they love to work with you, then as a team you have that synergy that you can go lengths you wouldn't go on your own. And this yeah. is really the impact of leadership. I learned the hard way, but I now mm -hmm. I know what good leadership is actually all about. And that was invaluable. Yeah. And I'm really thankful for that for my boss over there that um, <laughs> I learned that through him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Clear. Okay. And so then after this period ever, you find out, okay, this is not the life that I want to, to live. Uh, I need to do something else. So as mentioned before, uh, from an Indian perspective, the logical step would have been to go to medicine because that was the only one of the checklists yeah. that you would not have done, yeah. but you chose, you chose an entrepreneurial career. Why? Exactly. Why? Because exactly. you could do a lot of things uh, with, with your background. Why yeah, exactly yeah. now the choice to start your own company? Yes, yes. Um, the choice to start my own company was actually um, born out of an own need because um, as a child, since uh, I had struggles to find friends and everything, I immersed myself really deeply into books, reading and okay. books were my best friends. Uh, and what happened is um, reading when I was older uh, took me to uh, investing. And more specifically okay. to the topic of uh, value investing. And I consumed everything you can think about, uh, <laughs> about Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, all okay. those big, great investors. And I really found them to be on the one hand, really, really, um, really successful. On the other hand, really wise. And um, that field always really, really appealed to me. And after I got out of um, the, my, the patent attorney career, that was mm -hmm. 2020 in uh, February of 2020. That okay, was when COVID Corona. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's when COVID hit. And um, it was at the same time, the markets, due to um, the COVID, they tumbled. They went up and down all the time and was crashed here, crashed there. And mm. um, people got reminded of 2008. And um, I was equipped, but just from my hobby perspective, with a different perspective on those markets. And that is all out of the value investing um, uh, perspective. And there's one really wise um, mindset all those investors say, and that is um, you have to be aggressive when everybody's fearful and you have to be fearful when everybody's aggressive. At that mm. point, everybody was fearful. So I thought, okay, I should be aggressive. I'll take the jump to go into investment first. That was yeah. the first thing. So I prepared myself. I went online. I started analyzing companies, reading their um, balance sheets. And then I found out, all right, when I'm doing research, I lose the red thread all the time. I can't really manage information really good. It's so inefficient. That made me think about how to how can I structure information? And mm. then I found out, okay, to structure information, you have to have a red thread. That red thread has to be linear. It has to be intuitive and ha it has to be ever present. And there's just one red thread that fulfills all of those three requirements. And that is time. If you mm -hmm. take time as a red thread, you can sort and order every information based on the timeline. Yeah. And then I thought, all right, 
there is no search engine that takes information and sorts them on a timeline. And this mm. is when I thought, okay, this is what I should do. And that was the leap into uh, entrepreneurship for me because um, at that point, um, three years ago, uh, machine learning really got um, really got much attention and you, yeah. it was uh, possible to read text and extract events. And my idea was read text uh, algorithmically, extract events, and then mm. sort them on the time and put them on the timeline. So in the end, what I tried to do was, if you would enter your name into our search engine, we would uh, depict all events that happened in your life on a timeline and then uh, backed by sources. This okay. is how it started. And yeah, that was the first of many, of many product versions and uh, mm. company versions that then came to be uh, what it's now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then let's, let's actually talk a bit about what, what you're developing now. So you're, yeah. uh, you started at, at least according to LinkedIn end of last year, uh, compelling. And yes. so uh, um, LinkedIn is saying it's a customer relationship building platform. Yes. Uh, that sounds okay. very fancy, but also very abstract. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Can, you, can you explain a bit more what we For need sure. to understand with that? Yes, yes. All right. Now, um, there's actually a pretty simple way to understand it. It is okay. um, everybody knows what a CRM is, right? A CRM yes. is a customer relationship management platform. But the thing is, before you manage a relationship, you need to build it before, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we are building the world's first CRB platform for customer relationship building. That means okay. we start at zero. You don't even know who your next account is and we end at CRM. Okay. That means that this is the work what actually SDRs do. They turn over every little stone on the internet to find the, that company that might have the problems you are solving, contact them, organize the first call and then it goes into the real sales process. So this no. part in the beginning is customer relationship building. It's preparing and initiating relationships. And this is actually something that salespeople, it, this is, or let, let me phrase it another way. This part mm. is not the part why salespeople end up in sales in the first place, because no. everybody that goes into sales chooses sales because of the human side of it. Everybody wants to talk with people, to have mm. their day filled with coffee dates, with uh, calls, and basically building relationships on a, in a real way. But SDRs, what they do, and they have the hope to use their human skill set, but what they actually end up doing is using their analytical skill set. So they have to set up a process. They see, all right, which company should I target now, and where, which company has these problems, stuff like that. And um, we talk with a lot of SDRs and it's a huge pain in the ass because they don't like doing that. But what they hope is that at one day they get promoted to being an account manager so they can manage real accounts with real people. And mm. this is what we do. We actually take everything that is, that is the SDR that's doing the SDR and we end at the first call. So the, that moment when those two people sit in front of each other and talk the first time with each other, that's where we stop. And that's it. okay. Yeah. And so and I fully understand. So you, you do this yeah. kind of first step in the, in the pipeline. Exactly. So the step yeah. before information is entered into the CRM system. That's the, the, the step on which you focus. 
Exactly. And that is a, a step where traditional salespeople do not really feel comfortable and also not really enthusiastic about. Exactly. Now, by, mm -hmm. by going into that step, <clears throat> what kind of pain points have you identified in that step? Why is that step difficult? Yeah, that, that step, um, we have, uh, there's several steps. The one step I just told you is just the pain of having to use the analytical mindset, but rather ha liking yeah. to use the other mindset. Yeah, but it's a misfitting competencies, yeah. Exactly, yeah. On the other hand, companies also face the problem in that uh, area. It's because, um, and it's a pretty uh, pressing one right now, because right now we have an economic downturn, right? Mm -hmm. um, the economic downturn puts a huge pressure on every company to save costs. So naturally, mm -hmm. those companies, they save costs by canceling subscriptions. Subscriptions mm -hmm. is the first thing that gets canceled. That means in turn that B2B SaaS companies that sell those subscriptions, they have a big pressure to hold their revenue level or increase it. But on the actually how they normally would respond to it is to hire more SDRs, but they cannot because they have to save costs themselves. No. So that's why they need to find ways to make the existing SDRs more efficient and more productive. Okay. And that is automation. That's us. That's and the so one if you thing, talk about yeah. SDRs, what does that exactly mean? Exactly. Um, SDR is a sales development representative. Okay. And it's an entry job into sales. And it's basically the one who's preparing everything for the account manager. Yeah. It's like in, yeah. the, in the venture capital world, it's the assistance that needs to generate the deal flow the and deal just flow, yeah. search for companies in the same way in a sales environment. This, uh, as the art person would be the person that just has to kind of cold call and just find, find leads exactly. yeah. that can be put in the CRM system. Not yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. And if you, okay. if you, I don't know if you have ever done cold calling or, um, cold uh, emailing, but anybody I talk to, they say, oh, I don't like that job. It's pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the end, your purpose is then to kind of, uh, using data analytics to make that process more efficient, as I understand. No? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the way you can imagine how our pro uh, product works is as follows. Um, in the beginning, when there's nothing there, we start with you, with the user of our platform. We ask you, what is your value proposition? Mm -hmm. What problems can you solve? And we basically try to learn more about you. Out of these questions and answers you provide us, we build a perspective. Let's call it, if you take the WHU uh, as an institution, uh, yep. we build a perspective that, uh, that's based on WHU. And then we let our research engine loose that goes into the internet and that turns over every stone and sees, all right, where is someone who has the problem that Dries and his institution can solve? Yep. Then we contact that person with a, with, a, with a researched email because we also do background research. We build a compelling, that's, that's why the name, we build a compelling story around it, send the message out and as quickly as possible, try to get to the first call. Okay. And then after the first call is done, we are done and we get, tell you, all right, Dries, tomorrow at three o'clock, you have an appointment online with XYZ. This is what we wrote, what we wrote so far. This is some background information and these are possible talking points. Have fun. Okay. Okay. So it's much more than just generating emails that people could contact or, or telephone exactly. numbers. Yeah. You go way further. You really kind of um, prepare the full kind of backlog 
so that, yes. that I can just pick up the phone and start talking with potential customers. Exactly. Not? Yeah. Oh, okay. And on the other hand, those customers on the other side, they have already heard of you and they're already interested because we already, yeah. the initial contact, we already provided. So they know that you can help them and they're open to your messaging. And then you can talk with them. And on the one hand, the, this this whole thing and then the other, everything or the whole process generates data. And this data we clean up, we package and we update that in your CRM. So it's basically okay. integrating into the CRM and telling, all right, this is everything and this is what you should know. And now we're, we're good. Yeah, okay. And so you're talking now a lot about automation. So I actually yes. assume that, that machine learning is an important part of that. Or, yeah, or do you exactly. have a different approach? Okay. Yeah, no, actually machine learning taken to the other level, um, AI, we are using mm. AI as well. It's an, it's uh, not the core, but it, it's an uh, integral, um, integral element to our product. The core of our product is the research technology we actually developed before in our previous venture in sequence, the one okay. I was talking about. Yep. And we take that research technology, combine it with AI, and then that together makes our whole uh, research engine. So. When we ask you about your value propositions, the information you provide and everything and what you make out of that and any and all small um, elements, there's one prompt to, to an AI saying, okay, now give, evaluate this and give it back and then we can proceed and stuff like that. So it's not the core, but it's, an, uh, it's a good, good um, key ingredient to our system. Yeah. And of course, we all know uh, AI is now rapidly evolving with this whole generative AI. And, and I actually have the feeling, at least based on my experience, that there are a lot of tools now emerging that can actually be very valuable for you. If you say like, we prepare emails for the people, we prepare uh, kind of upfront messages, I'm immediately thinking, whoa, this is all kind of stuff that you can automate with uh, yeah. text generative AI. Is, is that also the kind of direction in which you're going at the moment? Or, yes, or is, exactly. Or, yeah. or I'm overestimating the, the potential here. No, no, for sure. That's exactly the right thing. In the beginning, we started actually just with the core email generation, which is the okay. most uh, common use case for AI. But yeah. then um, through uh, the next iterations, customer interviews and talking with those uh, actual users who have the pain points, we found out, okay, that email is not the is not it's not the core it's a bigger mm. picture we need to solve here and that's how we integrated um this whole ai thing into our process because since we start at zero you don't know even who your customer is and end at crm that's a whole it's a big and huge process we are uh, recovering and um to cover that in an efficient way ai can do a lot of good for us and this is um, okay. where we integrate everything and try to be pinpoint and uh, it's basically because if you frame it in another, another way, AI is actually a digital human being able to uh, to accomplish human tasks uh, tasks if you explain it very well. Yeah. And if you take that analogy and use it on sales, it's basically a, a digital SDR that yeah. if you instruct well, can really be of a great value for you. Okay, clear. Yeah, very interesting. Yes. Um, maybe I want to go briefly a bit broader because we started the yes. conversation with you talking about, uh, I have been grown up in this kind of dual cultural environment, yeah. having an Indian family, uh, Indian friends, but also of course being embedded in German context. Of yeah. course now uh, you have uh, quite recently uh, started to become an entrepreneur, like 
a lot of our of people listening to this podcast. Uh, we have a lot of yeah. kind of young entrepreneurs listening to the podcast. Also, of, a lot of them with an international background. And actually at okay. WAU, when I talk with, with international students, they, they actually often indicate that it's, that it's quite tough to be a uh, multicultural entrepreneur in Germany, mm. that, that it's not mm. always straightforward. What mm. is your experience? Do you also sometimes feel like mm, this is a kind of additional obstacle that I face as somebody with a multicultural background? And, yeah, and, and how yeah. do you deal with that? Can, can you reflect a bit about that? Yes. Um, now, let me set the ground first. Uh, being an entrepreneur in Germany itself is not as easy as it might be, say, in, in the US. Because yeah. um, in Germany, the people, um, what I found generally, um, they are really interested, supportive, but themselves would not uh, basically choose to be an entrepreneur. The, the mm. standard choice in Germany, in my generation, is um, going for the normal corporate career way. And yeah. um, that is then exacerbated because if I have a, a ethnical uh, different background, because mm. then um, if they didn't take you seriously before because you're an entrepreneur, then they <laughs> you have more <laughs> challenges being taken seriously because now you are... You also look different. Um, yeah. I, I don't. It's not for me personally. It's not um, racistic or any, anything like that. No, no, no. I just, uh, I think personally, it is just a burden of communication because what I found is, if I cannot, if I don't have the chance to talk with these people, then their image will be stuck. But once I mm. open my mouth and uh, proactively ap approach them then those people, they are really, really friendly, really open, and they want to learn more, but they before they couldn't learn more. So yeah. um, overcoming those obstacles, if you have a multi-ethnical background, is lies in communicating. You need mm -hmm. to be able to talk with people, um, to have them in or to inspire them and to make them listen to you. But this is paradoxically more listening to them. Because you need to listen and to see why, what they are thinking. And just yeah. for those people to be able to express their thoughts makes a lot the way much, much easier for um, being an entrepreneur in Germany. Okay, so you would say it's, it's a lot about proactive communication, yeah. listening what, what the other people have to say, and then kind yeah. of uh, responding to that. Uh, but that exactly. means, of course, that, that you already have to be in the conversation with the person. And yeah. <laughs> it's a bit yeah. related to your whole startup. The maybe yeah. a, a challenging part is actually first to get the contacts, to yeah. get people willing to talk with you. Do you have special kind of tips for our audience there? How can you, as a kind of person with an international background, how can you, <laughs> how can you convince Germans to talk with you? <laughs> That's it, like that. <laughs> Uh, that's a pretty good question, actually. Um, what I found, all right, I, ha I don't have the magic fix. I have a long-term uh, strategy that always um, applies well to me. It is mm -hmm. uh, not to talk about myself. Okay. And this is uh, actually a funny thing because everybody likes talking about oneself and mm -hmm. not so many people like listening. So at one point, if you signal your interest and if you make sure that you are there to listen to them, and that might be simple questions as, 
I have an idea. I I think I'm wrong. Can I have your opinion? I'll just tell you my uh, opi my thing, and then I'll just listen to you because you need to tell me if I'm on the right or wrong path. Then if you frame it in that way, then it invites the other person to talk. And this is a stage set, and then those people talk with you. because So the one thing is trying to talk less, um, admitting your own um, fallibility, because there's yeah. nobody there who knows everything, and this mm -hmm. is it. Then everybody is way more open to talk with you and, uh, um, and uh, give you helpful advice. Yeah, and, and is that then also a strategy that you apply, for instance, when you talk with potential investors, because again, typically intuitively we think, okay, if I'm talking with investors, I need to talk a lot about myself, what I can do, how, why, why they should yes. invest in me. Yes, and yes, you're yes. actually mm -hmm. now saying, well, maybe you should actually listen yeah. to what the investor has to talk or, or yes, 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 exactly. For sure. Because okay. the thing is in the end, um, an investor is not somebody who, uh, gives you money. An investor is somebody who gives you a relationship mm -hmm. and it is all about the relationship. That's why um, this will make it way harder in the beginning because it makes it more difficult to find capital. But in the end, um, it makes it way more easier if you find the right capital, because um, once you have those investors on board, you need to be able to communicate with them and talk with them. That's why in the beginning, in the first place, you need to filter out and see which investor might be a good fit which investor is someone i like working with and somebody i may not like working with or even on the other hand you can also ask the question yourself is that investor on the other side can i provide her the value she is expecting from me if yes mm. great if no then tell that and say my opportunity is not as big as you need it to be. That's why I think it's better uh, we we don't waste each other's time. Because on the one hand, if you take a step back, in entrepreneurship, it's not about making one venture successful. It's about making as many ventures successful as possible. So what the investor on the other hand knows, okay, it might not be a fit right now, but maybe in the future. And mm. that is long-term relationship building. And that's why... Um, being able to say no in the beginning politely yeah. is a really powerful thing for building good relationships, but because it makes it way easier in the end, in the end. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, as mentioned at the beginning, uh, you're now also part of the VAU accelerator. Uh, so we, um, the, the teams in the accelerator, we try to give them some support by giving them the opportunity to talk with a lot of investors, a lot of mentors. Um, and you get some additional workshops. And I think in a couple of weeks, you will do the demo day where you can pitch uh, your startup again in Berlin. Um, and again, not to make promotion for the accelerator, but I'm always just curious about what are you now still learning in the accelerator? Because you have been doing your entrepreneurship yeah. steps for yeah. now the last two, three years. What yes. kind of new stuff did you learn by <laughs> participating in the accelerator? Sorry. Um, yes, sure. Um, I have to be honest with you. The accelerator uh, did what it uh, promised. It made us way faster than we could ever have been with, uh, on mm. our own because um, the way the accelerator is designed um, gives you time to breathe, but after you are breathless. So that means <laughs> um, 
in the beginning, after the first week, I took my co-founder aside. I said, all right, let's go hiking. I need a deep talk <laughs> with you. And then we went hiking on a five hours hike. And I was like, Jonas, to be honest, I'm not sure if this makes sense. I'm okay. really, I, I'm, I'm devastated because 40 people, really, really high profile people, they took us, they really dissected everything and provided so much valuable insight that in the end, we were like, man, I, what do I know? What, there, there's mm. nothing that uh, has, it's nothing left as it has been before. But what happened afterwards was after you grapple your mind around everything, after you follow up, after you read again your notes and you uh, talk with each other, slowly the next steps emerge. And that's why um, before the uh, accelerator, we were a simple email generation tool. But mm. between those two mentor weeks, we turned that email generation tool into the world's first CRB platform. Okay. Because then we had some some indication of about uh, what our problem is, what our uh, where the co challenges in our communication lies, and then we were already talking with comp with big companies who are, had a interest but who are still not really sure. And at one point, I just simply, I, I got the idea and I simply tested that. And the idea came from the, uh, from the, the mentor week. And I just simply mm. tested the idea and said, um, you know what a CRM is, right? Yeah. You need to uh, build the relationship first, right? Yeah. Okay. That's why we were building the world's first CRB platform. And then the customer said, wow, now I understand. And, that's, and then that's the point where we turned into um, a CRB platform. And this okay. wouldn't have happened if there was not the uh, the accelerator because mm. we wouldn't have the means to go that deeply into our own assumptions to challenge them. And then yeah. after we, we transformed ourselves into the CRB platform and now um, could test that again in that second um, part of the Venture Mayhem, then this is where we had, at the beginning we had the hypothesis, now we have a fact. And now okay. we know where we are going to and what the vision is, it's clear now. And since we have that, I actually, before that, we didn't have any contact requests or inbound stuff like that. Now, like every day, there's one person who says, ah, I've heard of you and I think this is interesting, let's talk. And this is really great, great uh, development we wouldn't have had, would it not be for uh, the accelerator? Yeah, so that's, that's also like, at least you now get some indications that you're moving towards a kind of product market fit now, if people exactly. start reaching out to you instead you have to yes. reach out continuously. Yes, oh, that, that's exactly. Interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. actually interesting yeah. to, to hear this process because it it reminds me a lot about what about I experienced as an academic scholar. Yeah. So we, mm. And we spent sometimes two years on an academic research project. We are It's our little baby. We try to do it as good as possible, and then you send it to a journal. And actually, in the best case, uh, you get uh, a response from, okay, there is some promise, but here is a list of 40 points that you need to address. Yeah. <laughs> and then you feel completely kind of <clears throat> like, oh my God, what is this? I will never be able to deal with all these comments. And then you need yes, to take exactly. a step back, talk with your co-authors, think about, oh, actually this makes sense and we can use that to reframe it. And then often mm. you can produce a second version that is much, much better than the first one. Although initially you think yourself that this first version is perfect, but then you see exactly. how, how tough comments of, of, of experts can actually push you to the next level. And that's often a very painful process eh, because you get yeah. pushed, you get questioned. 
Yes, uh, but yes. you need to go through this pain to excel. And, and I have a feeling yeah. that you have a very similar trajectory, if I hear it. For right. sure. And this actually, yeah. exactly your point is uh, why it is important for people to breathe again, to bring mm. time back yeah. as, a, as a decisive factor in anybody's work. That's why um, that's, we tackle it from a sales perspective. We try to uh, relieve the pressure of SDR so they can think again. Yeah. And in the academic way, it's for sure exactly the same thing. One, the subconsciousness is working so hard, you don't even know it, but you need to let it work. And this is the time we need to take ourselves, step back and let it rest for a second. Yeah. That's no. a pretty, yeah, and, and it's, yeah. a, it's a tough, it's, it's not a nice process sometimes, not? It's, yeah. it's not always nice to get criticized. I think maybe when, when you got kind of slashed by some of the mentors initially, it doesn't, it doesn't feel nice, but to some yes. extent, I think it's a necessary sure. part of the game. Huh? No. Yeah, okay. for sure. And that's why I would always, uh, if there's uh, entrepreneurs who are aspiring to be entrepreneurs or people who decide and who want to be in that, um, in that career, um, there's basically just one skill you should really know and really should be able to practice. And that is being able to face harsh truths, mm. wrap your uh, mind around it, and divorce your ego from reality. That means that you think you have the best idea, but it's not the best idea. That mm. this is a this is a really crucial thing. And if you're willing to be open and to learn and no. to say, okay, I don't know what I don't know. If mm. you have that that uh, re revelation, you know that. Then you are you have the entrepreneurial um, yeah skill to succeed. That's the core skill to practice, actually. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah, but that, I think, to be honest, that also requires some maturity. Yeah? Uh, yes. And, and a yeah, lot of reflexiv yeah. reflexivity. Yeah? You need to be able yeah. to kind of reflect on yourself yeah. and how other people questioning you is like, can actually help you to make the next step forward. So I think that that's exactly. one of the more challenging part of being an entrepreneur. You need to be very reflexive. Uh, yeah. and, and mature enough to deal with that kind of tough comments and actually use yeah. them in your advantage. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Kiran, uh, because actually time is going very quickly and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it would be great to, I really like this topic, the focus on relationships, how to deal with these yes. things, but we should not go into a three hour podcast, I suppose. But, For sure. yeah. uh, but what we always want to do is, is to talk also a bit about from where do you get inspiration? And uh, we yes. always ask yes. to give some recommendations mm -hmm. about books or podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, you For told sure. before yeah. that, that books are a very important part in your life. So yeah. do you yeah. have any recommendations to share? Yes, for sure. Um, on the one hand, um, biographies of successful people. Uh, there's okay. one really, really good biography I really like. And um, that is uh, Personal History by Catherine Graham. Catherine mm -hmm. Graham was uh, the editor-in-chief of the Washington Post back in, in the 1960s and 1970s. And okay. that was the time when the Washington Post was a local paper and turned into the world's greatest uh, newspaper at that time. The mm. Watergate scandal and yeah. everything that was published over there. And the thing yeah. is about her, she was a complete outsider. She didn't know anything. And when she came in, she... she left her mind open she was willing to learn what i was just telling you she was mm. willing to learn and one of her uh, great mentors she worked with was actually warren buffett 
And okay. she uh, transformed as a newbie, as someone who was a full-time wife in, the in her first life. She inherited the Washington Post from her father, and then she turned that into be the next the, the powerhouse of jo journalism back then. And this mm. story is so inspirational because it tell it shows you that you can be a normal person if you are willing to learn. You can do almost anything, and this is a really good um, illustration that that yeah. history. The um, that that's a great book to read, and the other um, thing I really like uh, doing is listening to podcasts as well. Okay. I've listened to uh, uh, to <laughs> some episodes of of this podcast for sure, and there's another one which is really really inspirational, and that's called "How I Built This" by Guy Ross. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is a really really nice um, podcast because you listen to billionaires, to really really um, really successful people that are actually crying on that podcast because they mm. get so emotional. So you, you realize those human, they are humans. They are just like you and me. Yeah. And um, being able to he listen to their stories from their perspective or point of view gave me the power to subsist for such a long time. And yeah. um, I would highly rec recommend uh, listening to that um, podcast and that uh, biography and learn. Learning yeah. is the key to everything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I actually, I can only agree with you about how I built this. I think it's indeed for, for entrepreneurs, one of the best podcasts to listen to. Uh, yes. Because you hear very fascinating stories, which, which maybe it's, it's not about uh, how to become a an successful entrepreneur in one year. It's, it's not the practical advice, but you hear the stories about how people often struggled, faced the most incredible setbacks exactly. and still were able to overcome them. Uh, yeah. And it's always a very kind of open talk that, that yeah. Guy Ross tends to have with his guests. So I also really like it. That's true. Yeah, it's amazing, really. <laughs> Great. Okay, Kiran, thanks a lot for this conversation. I really liked it. I really liked your openness. And I, I like that we could talk about uh, how you're yeah. <laughs> uh, dealing with these different cultures, the importance of relationships. Uh, I think that's also really valuable for our listeners. So thanks a lot for that, yeah. for your willingness to share that. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Dries, and uh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you and uh, happy to hear from you, help you and help the community. If anybody wants to reach yes. out, please reach out. <laughs> Perfect. And of course, good luck with the next steps also after the accelerator. Uh, as thank you, you know, thank you. we always try to support these teams as much as possible. And it's always nice yes. to see what happens in the next steps. Yeah. Okay, then. Uh, I, Kieran, again, thanks for being here and to our audience, thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you also enjoyed it and we look forward to uh, have you again as a listener on our next episodes. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye bye.